challenged hearts. Lord, we thank you that you're in control and that things are in your understanding and that nothing catches you by surprise. And this week, Lord, we saw our nation and what took place, but we're grateful, God, that you're in control and that, uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that um, you know what's happening, you know where things are going, and we're excited that you're above all this. We pray, Lord, especially for our president, our new elected president. We pray for the transitions that will be coming, Lord, that everything will go smoothly and that everything will go better. We pray also, too, Father God, for um, your help, Lord, in uh, people being understanding and working together so that this nation can become even greater than it is now. We left up to you also, too, Lord, the police and fire, and for those who were killed in that sad situation, Lord, that you will work through that, Lord, and be with those families and bring them comfort and peace. We pray also, too, Father God, for those soldiers that are out in foreign countries and around the world protecting our national security. We pray also, too, Lord, for our own church family and for the challenges that are out there right now. I pray for especially um, a family that has five children and for some of the struggles that they're going through right now. We pray also for salvation for uh, two children for them. Their mom is so concerned. I pray also too, Father God, for some of our people that are struggling with health and COVID. I think of uh, Keith's mom, uh, that uh, Lord, that she's come out of the COVID now. And we're grateful for that. We pray also for Lise. Seal. We pray for Kay, who's doing much better. We thank you, Lord, that Howard's back on track, Lord. We pray to you also for Scott. We pray also, too, for Laura. I pray also, too, for um, Susie and her grandson, uh, Christian, and some of the challenges that he has with his back right now. Um, as a young man who's a swimmer, Lord, I just pray that you'll bring healing to that back and um, and Lord, that you give doctors wisdom to know what to do with that. We pray also for Betty and Howard and for the continued battle of cancer. We pray also too for uh, Ron McVeigh, uh, McReynolds, I mean, that you'll be with him and as he's getting these strong rounds of chemo right now, we pray for Frank, uh, for continued healing for him. We pray also too, Lord, um, for those that we know that are struggling with addiction, for Ryan, for Jordan, for David, for Brady, for Eric, and for Ricky. Lord, these young men that, and women that are struggling, Lord, right now, give them victory over and help them look to you, Christ. Pray also for Mary and for Joyce, and uh, be with them, especially for Mary and the loss of John. And now, Father God, we pray that um, for those that we maybe did not be able to write down, that you know what's going on in their lives, hear our prayers as we lift them up to you. I pray for a young man's family who died of an overdose this week, Lord. Just be with them, bring comfort. I pray also too for two young men who are uh, very angry with each other in their home, Lord. I just pray that peace will come to them. Pray also too for other families that are going through difficulties. I think of those who are going through divorce right now, Lord, and it's ripping apart their families. Jesus, bring your comfort and strength to them. And now, Father, I pray that you open your word to us. In these times that are unsure and troubling, Lord, 
um, that, Lord, you can bring comfort through the scriptures and give us the victory that we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have heard or read about or even seen the beautiful tower called the Leaning Tower of Pizza. Now, that tower is not known because of its height or even its structure, but it's known and it's been since... Um, <clears throat> Uh, it's only 179 feet tall. It's known because of the failure that it has, that it's falling. It was built back in 1173, and it's basically falling every year, one twentieth of an inch. Now, after 800 years, it's really leaning over. In fact, they tried to have to fix it back in 2007 because they were afraid that it was going to collapse very soon. And so they shored it up, but they know that if there's one flood comes or one problem comes, it could easily go over. And the reason why it is the way it is is because they built it on a poor foundation. Pisa means marshy land. And what they did is they built that tower on this marshy land, and that's why it continues to sink and fall. And that's one thing that Peter's worried about today. Peter is worried about the foundation that the believers like you and I build for our lives so that we can withstand the trials and tribulations of life. This past week, how many of us were surprised at what happened at the Capitol? And how scary it was to think that maybe our government is not as secure as we thought it was. We saw people, normal people, ripping apart places in Congress and in the Senate. And yet today, Peter wants us to make sure that we're solid in our faith as we face the difficulties of this world and this life. You and I will face many challenges. And Peter had his congregation very concerned because they were facing challenges that they weren't even fault at. Back in 64 AD, the man by the name of Nero was the emperor. And in order to build himself a great world, he wanted to leave his mark in history. And so what he did, he didn't like the way Rome was structured and the way it looked. And he wanted to build marble edifices. He wanted to build big, big buildings and because of him. So that the world would say and look at Rome and say, hey, Nero was a great leader and how strong he was. And so what he did is he started systematically burning Rome down. And every time they put out a fire in one section of Rome, he would put on a fire in another. But he didn't want the people to know that he was doing this. And when people got suspicious and they were concerned that every time he burned something down, something got erected in favor of him, they began very suspicious. In fact, they began to get rumblings and almost riots. And so what happened was Nero needed a group of people who he could blame as a scapegoat for lighting these fires. And guess who they were? They were Christians. Christians were, became his scapegoat. And that's why they were so persecuted in the early 60s. And it was because Nero made him his scapegoat. And what he did, and what you know as well as I do as we watch the internet and Facebook and all this stuff, and how gossip can evenly spread false truth or false lies, it happened in that day. In fact, the Christians were beginning to be persecuted because they were a group of people who were strangers, who were really weird. In fact, they said that these people were cannibals. 
that every once in a while they'd sit down in a service and they'd drink blood and eat a body. Or that they had love feasts. And the rumor went out that it was really orgies that were going on. They also took these Christians and blamed them for some of the fires. When they were near a fire, they would take them and put them on the back of the chariot and drag them through the city, killing them. They also, Nero did, he took Christians and at the end of the day when he was going to have a party in his garden, he would wrap a Christian in an animal skin, dip them in oil while they were still alive, and then put them up on a post and light them on fire. And he would light his garden with that for his parties. They also put him to the lions in the Colosseum and see how they would react and run and how the lions would chase them down and became a sport. People love to watch these games. They also watched the gladiators come and hack at them. All this was taking place to cover up his sin and his desire to build a world and an empire for himself. And so they were scattered. And Peter writes this group of people who had scattered from Rome, who wound up in Asia and Cappadocia and places like that because they were running from this persecution. And they were also trying to live in the Roman Empire, but were being persecuted even in their own neighborhoods. We see here, Peter starts out, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside in the aliens, scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter was talking to these people who were scattered because of the persecution that they were under. And they were still under that persecution in the Roman Empire, but they were scattered about and they sometimes were persecuted in places that were not near Rome. And here they were dealing with persecution. And the church of Jesus Christ was persecuted. And because of that, Peter wanted to console them, give them the foundation that they need in order to handle and deal with these crises in their lives. And so he does. And that's why we have First and Second Peter to them. And that was only part of it. Part of it was because they, they were uh, people in their own neighborhood who turned on them and turned them in as Christians. And they began to drag them out of their homes and beat them. This is the place that Christianity was at at this time that Peter writes to them to encourage. I don't know if you've ever had that in your own life. Or have you known people who've been persecuted for their faith in Jesus? I know my own self personally that I've dealt with some families who were very upset when we would lead people to Christ or when we lead people to Christ. And they mock their family. Sometimes they don't even invite them to the reunions anymore for the family. They cast them out. I know families who basically had funerals for their children because they didn't want them anymore because they had accepted Jesus and that was anathema to them and to their faith. There have even been people who've been murdered. And here we have it. They were being ridiculed. They were being persecuted. They were struggling. And Peter wants to encourage them. He wants to help them through the crisis so they can withstand whatever is thrown their way and whatever's after, whatever pressure they have. You and I go through things in our lives every day. Sometimes it's a crisis. Sometimes it's pressure. But we're all given things that sometimes puts our faith on the line. 
And we see that. And Peter is saying, since your life has been changed, that's what happens with us. When our lives are changed in Jesus Christ, we're different people. Salvation makes us a stranger to this world. Some of your friends, because of your faith in Christ, they may be more distanced from you now. A lot of people in our world cheat, but not everybody cheats. But there are people who do. But we as Christians, because of our value system, we don't cheat. There are people that lie in this world. Not everybody lies. Not, even non-Christians don't lie. But there are people that do. But we as Christians never do. Because we walk with Christ. And we want to show that witness for Jesus Christ. And there are people who do all kinds of things. Some of them worship money. Some of them worship sex. Some of them worship many different things. And in 2021, how do we live as Christians in a world that is continuing and progressively getting non-Christian and that the values are being pushed out? For instance, for a businessman, that he decides as a Christian he won't cheat or lie or double-cross people and he'll charge them a fair wage. Or for the husband or the wife who walk very boldly about their faith and their marriage and will stick to their marriage. Or for the Christian teenager who is in high school or in college who is being challenged by their value systems of drugs, alcohol, sex. Where will they be and how will they stand? What foundation do they have? To the worker at the job. That he works for the Lord and not for man. And he does quality work and doesn't fudge on things. Or for the person who's depressed, they don't go to the bottle. Or to the person working in an office, doesn't use profanity, but walks in a different level. You see, all this affects how we live. And we need the foundation of Christ to evidence Christ out in our lives every day. And this is what Peter wants. In a world, not isolated, but people who are living in the world and bearing fruit for Christ in their work. And that our condition is we're strangers. We're going to be looked on differently. We're going to be challenged by that. And we're going to be met with sometimes great opposition. See, Nero had the people convinced that Christians were fools. You and I right now, we're seeing that in the media more and more. You and I are seeing that in different avenues and in different workplaces. That if you mention you're a Christian, you look down upon. And how do we stand strong? Peter's telling us right here today. When the crisis comes. I have a fellow in one of our Bible studies this past week that talked about it. He was talking about when he was a, a person who was a quality control person. A part was brought to him by the boss. And the boss laid it down and he said, how come you rejected this part? He said, because it's insufficient quality. It's going to fail. He says, I need you to pass this, and you need to pass. He said, I'm not going to. And he stood his ground to his boss, and he paid dearly. That boss gave him such a hard time for months because he wouldn't pass that. Because people were waiting for that part. But he wasn't going to give it poor quality. And he stood his ground because he said, that's wrong. And that was hard. There's a lot of times that we see that. In industry, Think about the 737 MAX. How many people looked by that and saw things that were problems but didn't say anything because they just wanted to get it done or get it through or the bosses wanted it? 
You see, we don't need to panic. We need the firm foundation of Jesus Christ to stand on. And that's what Peter brings us today as we begin and as these people deal with. Notice what he says, let according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. And what we see here immediately is that God in three persons is working. God is addressing this situation and Peter sees God working. But look what he says. He says, God's elect. Have you ever thought that you were an elect person? That God chose you and that you're a special person in his eyes? That God the Father in his foreknowledge knew you before you were even born? And that he chose you according to that foreknowledge. It's not something that he saw in you later on down the road that he was impressed with. That he chose you early on. No, he knew you and he chose you and he was going to make you something great. And it was you were being chosen by him, elect to be his child. And he flawlessly with his knowledge accepts you. And look at what it says is that he sanctifies you. He works inside you with the Holy Spirit, changing and redeveloping you and working on you. You know, when we we're chosen for sides, you know, when we were little kids, you know, how many of us remember going out into the schoolyard and the teacher would take the two big jocks and they put them there and say, okay, pick who you're and each one picks and everybody's screaming how everybody felt so good when they were the first person chosen and how lousy they felt when they were the last person. Well, God doesn't do it that way. God knew before the foundation of the Lord and he knows exactly who you are and why he chose you. And it was nothing inside of you, but the Bible says he did it out of his pure love for you, that he chose you to be his child. That we see in the Sistine Chapel, if you go to Europe and you go inside the Sistine Chapel, you'll see a figure with a finger pointed to another. And what that shows is God's choosing to bring you into his fold and to be his it says, just as he chose you before the foundation of the world, that he would make you holy and blameless. And that's God's goal. God's goal is to make you holy and blameless. And as you being a chosen individual by him, there's no one can take that from you. You are his and you're his for alone. And he wants you to feel the adoption that he has for you. Notice what it says here. It says, uh, <clears throat> he predestined you to the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about adoption. Adoption is a wonderful thing. Steve and his wife adopted two boys. They were here yesterday helping us out. What fine young men they've become. But what's an amazing thing about it, that child that's adopted... He's chosen by those parents. They don't know how they're going to work out, how they're going to live their life, but they chose him because they love that child. That child had nothing to give to them, but they have all that they have to give to him. And that's what God, the Bible says, did for you. He adopted you. You were not his. You were not connected with him. And yet God chooses you and adopts you into his family. You see, you all know that Jesus was the same substance of God. The Bible tells us he was the only begotten of God. 
He was the same substance of God. He was God in the flesh. Where we are not children like Jesus. We needed to be adopted. We were away from God. We were outside of God. And what happens because God came in human flesh and came as Jesus and died for us, we now are, can be adopted by God. We can be cleaned up and be made his children. And that's what he does. And it's nothing he foresees in us, but he adopts us because he, out of his free love, chooses you to be his child and to be his offspring. And what a beautiful thing this is that God does for us. And it means that we are free by him to live in eternity and that we are just like Jesus, our brother, who is the same as we, in the sense that we have the same inheritance that Jesus has in heaven because of what Christ did and that you were adopted by him. Now, some people say, well, Dave, you know, isn't that unfair that God chooses some? And not others. Is it amazing that God chooses anybody to be saved? And God is free to choose whom he may. And there are times, and, and men and women in this earth who are free to do whatever they want. Imagine this. You had a friend. And you're sitting there one day in Panera and you're talking. And the four of them said they were going to rob a bank. And you decide, oh, well, let's rob the bank. And you say no. And you try to talk them out of it. You try to talk to each one of them and say, look, don't rob this bank. Serious consequence going to happen. You can go to jail for life. Well, they decide to rob the bank. They decide today. And you go over to one of your friend's house who's about ready to leave. And you take him down and you tie him up and you won't let him go. The other three see that the uh, fourth person's not coming. They go and rob the bank. They hold it up. And they wind up shooting the guard. Killing him. And they wound up getting caught. And they wind up going to trial. And not only are they uh, charged with armed robbery. But they're also charged with the murder of the guard at the bank. And when they finally reach the trial, the verdict is guilty. They all go to prison. And they're also given the death penalty. Now, whose fault was it that they robbed that bank? It was theirs. They chose to do that. But now your friend, who didn't go because you tied them up and wouldn't let them go, is walking around free. He doesn't have the right to walk around and say, well, the reason why I didn't rob that bank is because I was such a good guy and I put it together in my head that I wasn't going to do that. No, the reason why he didn't rob that bank and why he's free today is because of you. You were the one that kept him from going. And it's the same thing true of God. God chooses us. Not to become the robbers. And saves us from the death penalty. And that's what Christ did. When he called you and he chose you, he kept you from that. And saved you. 
John says that all the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will no means cast out. Jesus tells us that what's given to him are those who God chooses, and he gives them, and he no more casts them out, but they accept and receive Christ as their Savior. And notice what he does to us. In Romans, he says, as he for he knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. This is what God's purpose is. That you and I be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit works in us and begins to change us. And the reason we know that we're chosen, not only because we chose and accepted Jesus Christ in our lives, but our hearts are being changed every day. And that we no longer want to live like the world. But the things of this world no longer are important to us. And what's important to us are the things of God. And we want to do the things that God wants us to do. And we don't want to do the things he doesn't want us to do. And that's where we begin to see the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That you begin to see the changes in your attitudes and in our lives. That we see coming out of us the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, the self-control. All those things are seen because of Christ working in us. And he knows who are his. Have you ever thought about God's wisdom? How did God know to choose you? How does God know? Because he's omniscient. He knows everything. And he's got a purpose behind everything. Nothing catches him by surprise. You know, man's knowledge, we have to learn things. We accumulate knowledge, and we do long research to learn, and our knowledge is temporary. In fact, as we get older, we realize how temporary it gets. I know there's sometimes I get up and go across, and I'm going to go do something here in the church, and all of a sudden I forgot what I was going to do. And I go back to my desk, and I finally sit down, and then I remember what it was. That happens sometimes. That's how our knowledge is. I crack up because some parents are pulling their hair out because their kids are asking them questions at home because they're being taught by their kid. And, and it's hard because as a parent, those were things you remembered many years ago and you forgot about them. You have to learn and research in order to help your kids with their studies. But with God, it's not like that. God's knowledge is immediate. It's totally comprehensive. It knows everything about anything there is to know. He never has to research things. He never needs logical strands to connect in order to figure out what's going on. He knows it right away. We never hear out of God's mouth, wow. Or, man, I didn't know Dave would do that. God knows. He knows even before I put a, a word on my mouth. He's never surprised. Nothing ever gets him by surprise. He never forgets. That's God's mind. That is far beyond what we can ever imagine or comprehend. He knows us completely. And that's such a joy. When he says and he calls us the elect, chosen. That we are his in Christ. And that Christ washes us. And then the Holy Spirit works inside us, transforming and changing us. And how we cooperate with that change and we grow to love him more and more and all the things that were important. You see, God loves us, yes, as we are. But he also loves us even more to not keep us where we are, but to change us through the Holy Spirit.
And there's things in our lives that sometimes we need to have cleaned up. There's baggage that we have. There's stuff that God wants to work on. And his goal is to make you holy. You righteous. He wants to make you his special child. Different than the rest of the world. That the world will notice. And sometimes they will not like. But because you're his, you know. You don't have to worry. And you're at peace about it. And from that moment, you know. That he's working inside you. And you're his special possession. Owned and loved by him. And that's why when we hear these words of scripture. And that's why Peter, when he tells the people there down in, in, in Asia Minor. And in Rome. What God is doing for them and in them. And how much he has predestined them. Because he did it. Notice what it says in verse 4. In love. He protested us as adoption through Jesus Christ himself. He chose you and he loves you and cares about you. And that when we look at the whole problems in our lives and the difficulties that we go through, we can see a pattern that this God has, that he's beyond what we could ever imagine or think. Because before the foundation of the world, he already had planned his son to come to redeem us and to save us. You know, it's interesting. We've been going through this class right now on Friday mor uh, Wednesday mornings in my Bible study. It's called the cross of Christ. And as we go through it, it's who crucified Christ? You know, back in World War II, Hitler used it so that people would hate the Jews. And he would say that the Jews crucified Christ and killed him. And it would cause prejudice. And so that's why he would try to turn the hearts of Christian people and churches and Lutherans against the Jews. And justify his killing of the Jews in that slaughter that he created. But you see, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says it was God who put him to death. See, that's God's plan at work. It's there for us to save us. And notice what Peter says here in his sermon in Acts. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was God who put Jesus to death. It was God who put his son out there because of his infinite love to adopt us. And make us his own. And to save us. And that he used just man's lawless deeds. The Jews and the Romans. And they crucified him with their hands. But it was God who put that all together. So that you and I could be saved. And that really as Luther said it so well. He said it, it was me that put Christ on the cross. In fact, he said it in a way that's so interesting. He said, I carry in my pockets the nails that put Christ on the cross. We put Christ on the cross. But we really, our sin did. And that God put Christ on the cross to remove the sin from us. To purge us and to make us righteous in his sight. 
and that he called us into this wonderful blessing of salvation. That's our anchor for our souls. And he loosed the pangs of death. And he raised Christ. And that we're not held by death and destruction in our lives anymore, according to Acts 24, 2.24. And that's because of what Christ had done. And so Peter begins the salutation to this persecuted church. And he really wants them to understand this so that as they go through the difficulties of life, they're not rattled. They're not afraid. Even if death is threatening them, they're not afraid. And notice what he says. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now this phrase is used often in scripture. It's never peace be multiplied and grace to you. Never happens. Because what he's trying to say is that first, the grace of God, his calling, his saving, you is what needs to take first. And as you experience it, and as he grows you, and as you come to love God more and more in your life, and what Jesus has done for you, you get a peace that comes overflowing in your heart. That no matter what comes at you, you don't have to fear. You know, I, I, I love it. When I see that in people who I minister to, I, can, I saw it both in my mom and my dad. I saw it not too long ago with another man who was dying. And he looked at me and he said, Dave, I'm not afraid to die. I'm looking forward to going into heaven. Because he knew see, he had experienced the grace. He knew Jesus died for him and that he was going to heaven. And he had such a peace as he was dealing with his cancer and dealing with the pains in his life that they would be ended soon. I had that talk with Ron McReynolds. You've seen him here a couple of times. And he's been waiting for the Lord for a long time. He loves his family, loves being around them. But he knows with his cancer that there will come a time. But because he trusts in the Lord, because he's assured that he's not afraid to die, he's going to miss his wife and family. And we're praying that he will be healed so he has a few more years with them. But we're all going to experience and face it. And we don't have to fear because we have the grace that saved us and we have the peace to walk through that. You know, there was a man, Caesar Augustus, who knew a man who was very going through a lot of things in his life. And yet the guy slept like a baby every night. And Augustus was troubled by that because he constantly struggled with good sleep. And yet here is this man who had all these problems and difficulties in his life, and yet he was at peace because he had the peace of Christ. And Augustus, even Caesar, had him go and get his bed, his soldiers get the bed, so he could sleep on it and maybe have peace. It wasn't the bed. It's not the sleep number. 
It's a relationship with Christ. Like the man in, in Florida, when the hurricane hit and all the houses around him were destroyed, but his house was still pretty much together. He said, because I built it the way it was supposed to be built and for a hurricane. And that's why it stayed together. And folks, this is what Christ has done for us. And that's why Peter says this to his constituents. Because that foundation that Christ we build on will never be shattered. Let's pray together. Lord, I just thank you, God, for this opportunity. And for the peace that you give us because of knowing you, Christ. And knowing the foundation that you're building on us right now. Lord, we pray that each one of us, Lord, will continue to allow your Holy Spirit work in our hearts to change us. That we are seen as strangers in this world and that we can be a vital witness to it. And that, Lord, no matter what comes our way, we will not be shaken. But we will stand firm in you, Christ. I pray if there's anybody here who does not know that peace, that today they will not leave here without knowing that peace of accepting you, Christ, and having their sins forgiven because of what you did on Calvary and giving them eternal life. We thank you for the privilege of sharing that, Lord, in our own lives and living for you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please rise for the benediction. And now I'll go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.